Hey everybody, this is Dell Bigtree from thehighwire.com. You definitely want to check out the Hack Life podcast. Uh, he's going where nobody else has really uh, got the cojones to go. So make it happen. Joel's your man. Check out the Hack Life if you want to know how to hack your life. Biohacking. Performance. Mastery. Mindset. This is a show about getting better every single day. What's up, guys? It's Joel from The Hack Life, and I am super excited to announce that I just dropped a new eight-week program that's dedicated to motivated and busy men who want to lose weight. Let's face it, guys. When you lose weight, you're more confident. You have higher self-esteem, and you go out and you crush the world. You crush your goals, and you start living your higher purpose. So if you're interested, DM me at Joel Evan Coaching or email me, info at joelevancoaching.com for more details. All right, I'm here with Dell Bigtree. He's the host of the High Wire podcast. Dell, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me, Joel. It's great to be here. I'm, uh, you're one of the, uh, I'm just so you know, I'm, you're one of, I'm so excited to have you. You're one of the uh, special people in my heart and my family's heart too. I have two boys and a wife and, um, man, you're someone throughout the pandemic and that has been a beacon for me. Someone who has been like a source, a ray of light, someone who's been spreading the truth and just, um, who's really been shedding knowledge and truth. And it, a, a lot, as we know, throughout the pandemic, that hasn't been uh, that true. And so I just want to acknowledge you and thank you for, for being that for, for so many of us out there. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. And, you know, I just I also want to acknowledge my team. I have an amazing team of scientists and doctors and lawyers that have, you know, that work all around the world um, that we, you know, we get together and try and really crunch down on what's what's actually happening and you know one of the things that I'm proud of with the high wire is not only do we provide you know the information um, but and, and sort of my opinion of that information which which everyone has but really what we do is we take news a step further we're providing the evidence of, of what we're talking about so all the peer-reviewed science that I reference in the studies you know if people are signed up to our newsletter then they receive that you know every every Thursday we do the show every Monday they get the facts in their hands so they can read them I think that I'm, I'm trying to pave a way for how I think news needs to be done. It, we're, it's, it's too much just someone's opinion and idea, and, and we're supposed to believe uh, what they're saying. An expert, what is an expert? You know, an expert is someone that is well-educated with an opinion. I want to see the facts. I want to see what that expert's referencing, and that's what we do on the high wires. We really put it in people's hands so they can read it themselves and come to their own conclusions, which I think is what's really missing now is we've lost all critical thought. Uh, as we know it, um, and and probably at the most important time in the history of the world, we need pe- people critically thinking again immediately. Yeah, amen to that, brother. Um, I wanted to go back in time just really quick and just kind of give people who don't know you or not familiar, just kind of talk about, you know, one of the things you talk a lot about in your podcast is obviously natural health. And we, what's been a theme this year has been COVID. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that COVID-19 and, uh, you know, vaccine <laughs> vaccines. But for those of you that don't know that you were a producer on the hit TV show, The Doctors. And then during that time, what happened that really made you shift and start looking into or being concerned about, I guess, vaccines? 
Well, yeah, so I, I won an Emmy Award on the CBS talk show, The Doctors. I was there from the beginning. I was a producer on the Dr. Phil show. So when they were creating The Doctors, I was directly involved with helping sort of put that this you know new type of television together where medicine would sort of be used as entertainment and information. Um, and so I always say I spent six years celebrating the best that science and medicine has to offer. I scrubbed into ORs, you know, meaning I put on all of the, you know, the, the blue clothes and washed my hands and rubber gloves and went in with cameras to shoot surgery. So I've been very up close and personal watching great doctors and scientists do what they do. Um, I, there's seven producers on the doctor's television show that, you know, if you imagine we've got to fill a whole year um, of, of programming Monday through Friday. And so we were all responsible to produce a show every single week, like, you know, every, all the content, all of the guests. Um, and if you asked the lawyer for the show, she probably would have told you, you know, that I was, I cost the show more than just about anybody else because I always did do stories where I was questioning whether something was safe. You know, every time, There'd be a new pesticide or an herbicide or something or some element in our toothpaste. I would go after Colgate and say, "Look, this 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 pro, you know this product is shown to mutate your DNA, and why is it still in toothpaste?" And so I would challenge. I think I pushed the envelope of where sort of daytime talk shows were really at. Um, and so I was already wired that way. So when a whistleblower reached out to me. Um, actually, what happened was uh, an inside source reached out and told me there was a whistleblower inside of the CDC, the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and that they were going to come forward and say that they were committing scientific fraud in the vaccine safety studies, uh, and specifically the study between 2000 and 2004, uh, looking at the MMR vaccine, the measles, mumps, rubella vaccine, and its connection to autism. Um, this is, you know, a story that has always been floating out there. As uh, the doctor's television show had a very strong stance that vaccines were safe and effective, that they did not cause autism. But I had told this doctor when I'd met him a year and a half earlier, I know this is a field that you're looking at. If there's ever something big change, if there's a big change in this discussion, I might be interested in looking at it. But right now, you know, we're not just the show has no intention of sort of changing its philosophy on vaccines. So he did a year later said, remember when you said if something big was going to happen? Well, this whistleblower is going to come forward. I pitched that story to my executive producers, said I've got the jump, a lead on a, a whistleblower inside of the CDC. They basically laughed and said, Dell, you know, we love you, but we are not going to attack the CDC who allows us backstage every time there's a flu outbreak. <laughs> We're not going to attack Merck that makes the MMR vaccine is one of our primary sponsors. And so, you know, that sort of, I wasn't allowed to pursue that. But the story did end up breaking. Like two weeks later, people were putting out these, these, um, these recordings of this whistleblower confessing to what they'd done at the CDC, saying things like, every time I see a child with autism, I feel guilty. Um, we hid statistically significant information from the public. Um, and so I really wanted to look into that story. And that, you know, as all things go, I, I could, we could spend hours talking about the amount of sort of uh, coincidence or miracles that brought me to uh, the documentary that was already being made about this whistleblower. I got involved and produced that, and that ended up being the documentary Vaxxed from Cover Up to Catastrophe, which I think a lot of people credit with sort of igniting this discussion around vaccine safety around the world 
and really uh, catapulted me into being a visible, outspoken um, journalist on the subject of vaccine safety. And so from there, I, I created a nonprofit because we were traveling the country with the, the, the film. Um, we were doing Q&As after every screening. We had a bus that said vaxxed on the side of it. Thousands of people were signing the names of their injured or dead children from it really was a traveling memorial to vaccine injury. But I wanted to be able to answer the question that I kept getting, which is your film is all about the MMR vaccine. What about all the other vaccines we give our kids? Are those dangerous too? I didn't have an answer to that. So I started a nonprofit, the Informed Consent Action Network. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm like a dog on a bone. And I, and I had found something in Vax and, and through Dr. William Thompson, the whistleblower at the CDC. And I just thought, it, what are the odds that it just stops here, that the, the sort of um, fraud around how they're doing vaccine safety studies, does it just stop the MMR? So we've been investigating the safety of vaccines for five years now. Um, and I've had incredible meetings. I've, I've, you know, Donald Trump set us up with a meeting at the National Institute of Health. Uh, where Bobby Kennedy, and I actually, Bobby Kennedy was the one that was invited, and then he brought me in, and we put together a panel of scientists and doctors to really challenge the safety of vaccines that are given to our children. And so I sat right across the table from Tony Fauci, back before I really even knew who he was. Uh, Francis Collins was there. And so I've been involved in this conversation. Uh, we've, we have a strong legal team for our nonprofit. When the government, we feel like, is lying to us or holding back really critical information for transparency around the topic of vaccine safety. We've sued and we've won lawsuits against all of our major health agencies, Health and Human Services, the CDC, FDA, National Institute of Health. So um, we're a big player in advocacy for uh, the safety of vaccines. And then of course, this pandemic um, really catapulted the idea of vaccines and how fast could you make a vaccine and what does a safety study actually look like? And since I had just spent four years investigating every safety study ever done on uh, the vaccines that we're giving our children, um, this pandemic has just sort of helped us sort of rise into that discussion. And I think that if you've read your New York Times or Washington Post or CNN, you'll know that, you know, our nonprofit and uh, I myself get in a lot of hot water for <laughs> challenging the safety of these totally experimental products that are still not approved by the FDA. Okay, that's amazing. So let's talk about just that note right there. And we're hearing it all throughout the pandemic, safe and effective. So I already know people are going to come into this podcast and they're going to have their own biases and that's fine. And I'm, but I just want people, you know, they're going to ask, they're going to say, well, Dell, if you have these, and I've heard you say this, so let me just, you know, Dell has said many times, Hey, I'm not anti-vax. I'm pro safety for vaccines. So I'm sure people are going to ask, Hey, Dell, then what's not safe and effective about these vaccines? How do you, um, how do you kind of answer that for people? Or maybe even a better way is like, because I think everyone comes in with a bias and the bias is, hey, man, listen, Dell, vaccines are safe and effective. It's been proven for the millennia of time since the early 1900s. This is proven science. This is what we do. What do you tell people like, that's great that you think that way. Have you considered this maybe? Well, have you asked yourself ever why we have ever done safety studies on every drug we take? Um, there is a process by which science happens, the scientific method as it's described when it comes to making sure that a pharmaceutical product is safe is called the double-blind 
placebo study where we give one group of, of, of the study the pill. If it's a pill like Viagra or something else, they get that pill and then we paint a sugar pill to look just like it and we follow both groups, those that are in the placebo group and those that are in the drug group. We followed them for five, sometimes ten years. Grandpa's Viagra was in a ten-year safety trial uh, just, just like that, we follow a placebo group and a drug group. When it's an injected product, we inject, the, in this case, a vaccine, and in, this, in the placebo group, they get a saline injection. Um, we have done this since the dawn of pharmaceutical. And now, all of a sudden, we're supposed to believe that that was never a necessary process because that's what you have to believe in order to say that these vaccines are safe. You're going to have to say that we have wasted time doing safety studies from the dawn of man. We should have never done them because if pharma says it's safe and pharma says they're great and they have really talented scientists, we should take their word for it and just take the product weeks after its development which is exactly what we're seeing with this vaccine. When you ask me what's wrong with it or how is it dangerous, the truth is is nobody on this planet can answer that question for you. And that is scary, um, given that we know that pharmaceutical products can kill, can have long-term safety effects, whether you know there was a famous morning sickness pill that was given to women back in the 1960s and 70s. Their daughters can't give birth to children because of it. We didn't know. It looked like it was fine for them. It was a problem that in the drug created an issue that skipped to that next generation. We don't know if this vaccine could do that. What we do know is that there's world-renowned scientists that work at Pfizer and places like that warning us of just those types of things with this vaccine. Now, you may want to reference that vaccines have always been safe and effective. You kind of made that statement, Joel. Vaccines are safe and effective. You know, what's wrong with this one? Well, that may be the case, and I'm not going to mean I've spent the last four years arguing that point, but let's not argue it today. Let's say they are safe and effective. These products right now, these coronavirus vaccines, have absolutely no similarity whatsoever to these coronavirus vaccines. These coronavirus vaccines are nothing like the original vaccines we've made. They are a brand new technology, and many people would argue they're not even vaccines, and we can get into the details of all of this, but what we're talking is a brand new technology. And so one of the things, one of the reasons I've sued regulatory agencies like the FDA is that they will just make these blanket statements that vaccines are safe. So let me put it this way. Essentially, what if you're going to say that these are safe, you're going to rely, this would be like saying Oxycontin is safe because aspirin is safe. That's the same thing. Well, they both have, you know, they're both there to just kill pain and aspirin's proven to be safe. Therefore, Oxycontin is safe. That's how the math is being done right now. And so to me, that's insane. Uh, but if anyone wants to challenge that, you know, but, you know, it's, it's, it's obviously people shake their head. Well, Tony Fauci says it's OK, but Tony Fauci only knows the history of aspirin. He has no idea of the history of Oxycontin. And that is the case here. They may all want to believe it's safe. They want may want to think that this is the uh, technology of the future. And it very well may be. Let me make it clear. I'm not against the advancement of science or technologies. What I'm saying is there are serious concerns with how this technology works being brought by world-renowned scientists that are only being censored for speaking the truth. Um, I was, you know, to put it very clearly, I was in um, an interview with someone from the BBC. They flew in last week to interview me. And they said, you know, one of the problems I have with you, Dell, is you make the assumption that the vaccine is dangerous just because it hasn't finished its safety trials. And I said, you know, there's a there's a 
there's a term for that. It's called the scientific method or the precautionary <laughs> principle. Science actually demands, it demands, it only works if we don't just accept the hypothesis. We don't accept the hypothesis, we don't accept the theory just because it exists, and we don't accept brand new products. The scientific method demands that we are as skeptical as we can be, that the most talented people throw whatever monkey wrench, any concern or complaint at a theory, they challenge it from all sides. And only after being rigorously challenged do then we come out the other side and say, you know what, under incredible scrutiny and, um, and, and challenge, and we have decided that, look, it survived, it's safe, it works. That's how the science is supposed to work. Instead, we now live in a world where the FDA has pom-poms out. The head of our health and human services, Alex Azar, before even looking at the evidence of this brand new technology, was like, we're going to rush this out to the public. We're going to make sure that we get this out to the public as quickly as we can. Really? That's the, last, that's the last place that's supposed to be really challenging it. Health and human services is supposed to be under the assumption that the products don't work and that they are dangerous. And they should bring all of that concern and fear to the table and, and see if the vaccine can stand up against it. See if the trials have proven that they've gotten through those questions, which they have not. And instead, what we have is an FDA and a health and human service and CDC that are pro-vaccine from the very beginning, tell you they're going to rush these things on the market. And then when we read the emergency use authorization paperwork, there's a whole, this page upon page of the known unknowns, which we should probably talk about. Because when we ask, you know, why is this vaccine dangerous? Well, let's talk about what happened in the animal trials, because that's the only trials that actually did happen and the animals died. We should be wondering why. Yeah, and... On that note, you know, you said a, you said a mouthful about just vaccines in general, and then specifically about this this COVID nineteen vaccine. And one of the things when it comes up for safe and effective, right? I wanted you had mentioned the scientific method. So I think what you're saying too is that they have done no robust or by the book scientific method double blind placebo trials, correct? Right. Well, they they started them. You know, we we've done a first and second phase trial. In the phase three trials, we actually because we've sued the FDA and won, we have a pretty you know we have an open phone line. Let's just say with our complaints, we talk right to the top heads because they know we know our science. And we're, it's not because I have an opinion. I work with a, a body of scientists that put together our complaints. Um, so we put together a petition to the FDA saying we will sue the FDA if they don't do a proper safety study, especially in the phase three trials for vaccines that are going to be used in America. Uh, we demanded that they add a saline placebo group. Up until that point, the placebo group was going to be receiving a meningitis vaccine. Um, that's not a placebo. Placebo is supposed to have no effect on the human body. The meningitis vaccine does kill you know, a very small group of people and has side effects. We didn't want something with side effects to be what we're comparing to. We wanted just a saline injection. So we put forward a citizen's petition against the phase three trials and the FDA shut those trials down two days later. And within about a week, they came out and said, we're going to add a saline placebo group to all the phase three trials. So for anyone that says that our nonprofit is anti-vaccine, why would I be doing that? I mean, I'm fighting for all sides of this. I want to make sure that the people that are going to get this product have 
have a product that went through a proper safety study. If I thought it was ridiculous, I would just cut it down and wouldn't get involved in the trials at all. So we, we did manage to get a saline placebo, but here's the problem. That trial was supposed to last at least two years. We were saying that it should be at least five or ten years. I would like to see the offspring of women that give birth, you know, you know, after having received this vaccine, if they can give birth, which is a real question. We're not sure that even the women getting it now are going to be able to give birth. What, what about their offspring? So we needed longer-term safety trials for this technology, but let's just say it was supposed to be two years and instead, about two or three weeks after the second shot in these phase three trials, they immediately did their calculations, said, look, it's 95% effective at reducing symptoms, not at stopping the infection, not at stopping transmission. It does has not proven to do what we know vaccines do, which is stop your ability to get an infection and your, then your ability to transmit it. There is no science that shows us, and they admit they don't have the science that says that. What All they can say is they believe that it's going to reduce your symptoms when you do ultimately get sick with COVID. So the vaccine is not going to keep you from getting sick. They just think it'll keep you from getting sicker when you get sick. And that's about all that it's done. But the problem is, is we didn't do those long-term safety trials of two years. So, you know, in two to three years, that's what it would take to know whether the vaccine is going to cause autoimmune disease. Might give you lupus where your body's attacking your, you know, your blood cells or diabetes. It's attacking your, you know, your pancreas or maybe it's attacking your myelin sheath. Uh, which can lead to all sorts of things like multiple sclerosis, lupus, you, you know, you name it. Those types of autoimmune diseases that could destroy your life forever. Uh, we won't know if this vaccine does that for several years. That the only way to know is to trial it for several years and track it. Cancer, does it cause cancer? These are the number one, I'm not pulling these out of thin air. These are the number one questions that are asked of every drug. And so when we look at, let's just look at autoimmune disease and sort of how this vaccine works. These mRNA vaccines, for instance, and the adenovirus vector are similar, but the mRNA vaccines by Pfizer and Moderna, we're not injecting like some virus or some killed or attenuated form of a virus or bacteria into your arm and then having your immune system go, oh my God, I've been attacked. Let me create antibodies and try and develop an immunity against that. That's how every vaccine has worked up until this point. This is a totally different technology. Essentially, we're taking a code, a gen, you know, the code we know, sort of almost like a computer program, and we're wrapping it, you know, so that it's hidden in the case of the adenovirus vector. It's in the adenovirus vector. A virus is being put into us that inside of it has this genetic code for the spike protein we've all heard about. With the mRNA, it's just a fatty lipid that you can also be allergic to, but let's not get into that, that has this this basically computer information that gets into the cell and tells, teaches the cell how to start making the spike protein, start producing the most dangerous part of this virus, which is the spike protein. So essentially, we're turning our own cells into a virus manufacturing plant. And then your immune system kicks in and goes, oh my God, my own cells are excreting or putting out a deadly virus. I need to kill that cell. So right there, there's a lot of virologists and immunologists that say, wait a minute, you're telling the immune system, you're making our own cells the bad guy, producing the virus. It's not coming from the outside in. It's not attacking. We're not breathing it in like our body is used to getting a virus. It is suddenly appearing inside of our own cells. The idea that we're teaching the immune system then attack those cells makes a lot of people wonder, 
if you make your own cells the enemy, what happens if your immune system keeps attacking all the cells in your body? Won't that be long-term autoimmune disease? That's a very sort of simple look at one of the, one of the first problems we see with the potential for this technology. And we won't know for a long time. We won't know after the two weeks. We won't know right now, right? Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that really, you know, as a parent, um, I was, you know, that that's how I discovered you. I was forced to go down. I'm a big health person. I was forced to go down the rabbit hole of vaccines when it was time to vaccinate my, my children. And so I had to start doing a lot of research, man. I, I watched Vax. I read Dissolving Illusions. I read Virus Mania. And a lot of concerns came up for me, like you just brought up about, is the safety issues. Um, and one of, I'm wearing an amazing shirt today. I don't know if you can see it. It says, we are the control. And on the back of the shirt, it, it says, it basically says that uh, they unblinded the placebo group in the trial. For, and uh, is that what you, that's what you're referring to, right? So they had this like you said, the scientific method. Let's let's blind these people. Let's do the placebo. And they unblinded them. They started vaccinating them. So we're never going to get any real data. And um, right. that's always well, let, been let's, my, yeah. my... Well, let's explain why that's a problem, right? So you're right. Once they got the emergency use authorization, and this is ironic because the thing that we had proven, that, that Robert Kennedy Jr. with his nonprofit, uh, Children's Health Defense, mine, which is the Informed Consent Action Network, sometimes we join forces and sue. But what we'd proven is that none of these vaccines had been properly safety tested. They had never really gone through long-term safety review. We said that the longest safety study we could find was about six months. Many of them, like hepatitis B, which we give on the first day of life, literally was only studied for five days, five day safety trial before they said, ah, it's safe, give it to all the babies. And by the way, we, we give that in the first 24 hours of life. And in the United States of America, we have the highest first one day baby death rate in the industrialized world. Uh, we have more oh, babies wow. die on the first day of life than every other industrialized nation combined. So those are the types of things where you say, well, what are we doing differently? Well, we're the only ones giving this vaccine that was only went through a five day safety trial to day one old babies. But, you know, we had said and proven that they don't do proper safety studies when it comes to vaccines, and it doesn't make sense. And New York Times and Washington Post, they would always say, Dell, Big Tree, and Bobby Kennedy are spreading misinformation and uh, saying, of course, they've done safety trials. And here we are. And they've done it again right before your very eyes. They started safety trials, but as soon as they got the emergency use authorization, as you pointed out, they played this trick, right? This gimmick. They say, well, now that everybody in society is allowed to get the vaccine, it's really not ethical to force the placebo group to not be allowed to get this great life-saving vaccine that's never been through a long-term trial, which is why they're in a placebo group. Therefore, we should offer the vaccine to everybody that was in the placebo group, thereby erasing your placebo group. So we have now I'm erased right the placebo come group. Sign me up. Yeah, come you're right up. there. You're right there. And I'm right <laughs> yeah, here, by the way. Come sign me up. Come sign yeah. me up. Right. Yeah. yeah. And so, so that's, that's a problem. And what they will do, which is what they've always done with these vaccine trials now, now you'll have high rates of cancer. You'll have high rates of autoimmune disease. And people will be saying, I really felt like I started getting more and more sick after I got the vaccination. And they'll say, well, our trials didn't show that that was the case. Meaning there were people that died in our trials. There were people that got cancer. There were people that had autoimmune disease. But we just assumed that was a natural case of cancer or autoimmune disease because there was 
no comparative group to say, well, they had less autoimmune disease in the placebo group or less cancer in the placebo group. They've erased that group so that they will never have to make that comparison. This is the worst kind of science. In fact, it isn't science. It's a total abomination of science. Um, and so we're left with really crappy means to try and look at, you know, what really ultimately ends up being a lot of anecdotal evidence. So we have a lot of people dying right after the vaccine. We have a lot of people, you know, having paralysis right after the vaccine. We had a lot of people, you know, really getting that the, the blood clots at the same time as thrombocytopenia, which is why we halted the J&J vaccine here and AstraZeneca did in Europe. But in the end, when they look at it, they realize, well, you know what? We have just as many blood clots and thrombocytopenia in Pfizer and Moderna's vaccine group. So if we outlaw Johnson & Johnson, we'll have to outlaw them all. So what you're watching is even when they see a deadly problem, they just decide the vaccine's more important. It's more important people get it. So we are going to knowingly give people and coerce them. Right now, you've got Barack Obama in a video telling children to go out and get it even though we now know it causes blood clots and death. Uh, and what we'll say to you is, hey, well, it's just a small group of people. Well, how small is it? How is the science done there? And that's what we've investigated. And if you want to watch the last couple weeks of my show at thehighwire.com, we've broken down you know, how big this problem may be. Let's be really clear. When it comes to deaths alone being reported, um, VAERS is the only system that we really have, Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System. Currently, there's over, I think, 3,200 reported deaths from the vaccinations just in the last three months. But VAERS is known and was proven by Harvard Medical School in a $1 million study that was funded by the CDC. They proved that VAERS captures less than 1% of the total amount of injuries. So when we look at those numbers, we know what we have to do is multiply it by 100. So what we're saying is that the deaths from these vaccines really are probably online with being around 320,000 people killed by the vaccines so far, and it's only been three months. We're supposed to care about the 500,000 that died over the course of two years from the virus, but in three months, this vaccine is tracking to make the virus look like an infant in this game. This vaccine appears to be very, very deadly. I'm I'm so happy you brought that up the the VAERS system that was a question I was going to ask you and it's something that you have been really drilling down over the last 2 weeks so if anybody is confused about that they need to check out the high wire and you really break it down very it's very simple guys it's that the data is not being tracked and so when you look at it it seems like oh there's like it's like 1 in a million or I think 1 in 10 million is what you said but it's actually closer to like 1 in 10,000 or something so um, it's and you had an, uh, you had three. Well, actually, VAERS when when VAERS when Harvard studied VAERS, it was one in ten. One in ten were having injuries, not necessarily death. Oh, wow. But we hear one in a million injuries at all. What Harvard discovered is it, it could be somewhere between one in ten and one in a hundred were having injuries from vaccinations. And ironically, when they did that study, the whole point of it was they also brought in their computer team. Remember, we're the home of, Harvard, of, of Microsoft and Apple. Uh, Harvard was supposed to try and see if they could automate the VAERS system so it would be better at capturing this information so we could do better data collection, which makes sense for any scientific product, especially one, if you're not going to do long-term safety studies, you're going to erase your placebo group, then we better be really good at capturing the injuries that are happening to regular people in civilian life 
That's what VAERS was supposed to do. This study back in 2010, Harvard Medical School built the mechanics to have an automated system. They put their entire Harvard Pilgrim medical system on it, said, see, it works. And it's capturing, you know, all of these injuries. And you know what CDC did? At the, it's a terrible thing to read. At the end of the study by Harvard, it says, unfortunately, right when we were ready to go online with the entire country and really automate VAERS so that it would be a far more effective tool for tracking uh, dangers of vaccines, it says, uh, upon notice, CDC stopped returning all of our phone calls, stopped returning all of our emails, and never spoke to us again. Isn't that weird? CDC pays Harvard Medical School, the best medical school arguably in the world, to do a study, see if they could automate the system. They do achieve it with their you know, world-ranked computer technology team, and then CDC stops answering all their phone calls. Spent a million of, of our tax dollars for all of this work, and they said, no, we don't want, la, 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 we don't want to hear it. <laughs> That's what the CDC did. And so now, 10, you know, look at 10, 11 years later, at a moment where we are now releasing a totally experimental vaccine, we need that surveillance system so badly. We need it to have been automated. And now they're even admitting that they're just, we have no surveillance system we can really trust to capture what's happening from this gigantic 100 million people uh, or more have already received this vaccine. And FDA, CDC are saying, yeah. We got no way to really track injuries in that because we don't have a decent system. We could have had it back in 2010, but CDC shut that program down. Yeah, what I've come to notice with this with these big bodies like the CDC is, you know, it's just a checkbox. So if you ask them if they did it, checkbox. Yeah, we did it. We ran the study. And so you can find it on their website, but you'd have to really scour the website. And same thing with how the terms of herd immunity got changed. Same thing with like even the most recent mask um, update, which I, I think is your, I think, I don't know, in certain states like where I'm at, California, uh, if Ooh. you go outside, I know, sorry, thank you. Yeah, don't worry. I have, I have a plan in place. I'll tell you after the show. All right. um, so uh, I think you're allowed to go outside without a mask or something if you're vaccinated. I have no idea. But yeah. – so and and I think most of the people that I'm around in San Francisco are are probably vaccinated. So I'm like, why are you still wearing a mask? Many of them haven't even got the update because they're just on autopilot. And if you go to the CDC's website, it's there, but it's not like it's a big announcement. Like Joe Biden's not announcing that. Like, hey, take off your mask. Like, so there's all this confusion, and nobody really knows. Well, it's not actually that confusing when you look at it. The issue is that the vaccine doesn't stop infection uh, and it doesn't stop transmission. So the reason they're making everybody that got the vaccine wear the mask, I mean, they're trying to loosen it up, right? Because it's a terrible ad campaign. Come and get yeah. a vaccine and stay imprisoned with everybody else. <laughs> like it just wasn't working very well. So basically the idea of what they said is if you're outside and you're not around a lot of people. Well, what does that mean? If I'm around a lot of people, then they have to wear a mask. Then again, you're, you have to recognize they're admitting the, va the vaccine doesn't work. Uh, it will not and it cannot get us to herd immunity. The only way to herd immunity at this point is through the naturally infected people. Uh, they're the only ones that will have long-term immunity. We know every study has shown that the people that got naturally infected at the beginning of this pandemic are still immune. There's not a vaccine that has showed that it it's, has an ability to do that. And going back further, the original SARS coronavirus 
um, back in, you know, the early 2000s, you know, 17, 20 years, I mean, depending how you want to calculate that, those people that caught that virus are still immune to SARS coronavirus. So that type of long lived, you know, potentially lifelong immunity is only achieved through natural immunity. Yet we're getting this bullying that somehow it's the unvaccinated people that are going to keep us from getting to herd immunity. I have news for you. The only way to herd immunity, you should be celebrating those unvaccinated people. You that are in the control group, thank you for your service. Uh, you're the only chance we have. And and I have presented the information from world-renowned scientists like Geert van den Bosch, uh, who, is, who ran Gavi's uh, Ebola vaccine program, developing the Ebola vaccine for Africa. This is a top, top level. Bill and Melinda Gates ran you know, their vaccine program. He has come out and said, we need to stop vaccinating everybody immediately. Uh, that our only way forward is natural immunity, that these vaccines are not only not working uh, to stop infection, that they're actually promoting and, and pressuring the virus to become more deadly so that we, what we will create through the use of these vaccines is a deadlier virus that no one will be able to stop. No vaccine will stop. They are making, uh, because of how this vaccine works, it's going to cause vaccine-resistant um, viruses to pop up and variants. And we are starting to see some proof in what he said in the South African strain, the Brazilian strain, uh, the British strain. And, and just to be clear with everybody, the natural evolution of viruses is to become less infectious, like to become less deadly, really. Uh, and the reason for that, if you imagine, you know, evolution as a concept is to survive, right? Every, every, everything on this planet wants to survive and proliferate. And, or, and so... Um, when we have a virus that's totally deadly, it kills its host. The host drops dead, and therefore it kills itself. And so very early on, viruses that are deadly recognize that they need to become less deadly and over time kill fewer and fewer people so that they can spread easier and easier. Now, when you see a virus that is becoming less deadly as it was coming out of Wuhan, there's countries where it wasn't even affecting them very much at all. And we're talking about for the world right now, honestly, this is though we've, we've focused on it, but it has about a quarter of 1% is the death rate. Somewhere between a quarter of 1% and some places a half of 1% is the overall death rate of people that get the virus, not even of your population. On a population level, then you're in like 0.0001% chance of you coming in contact and dying from the virus. So very low death rate to begin with. But what Geert warned us is if you start seeing this virus killing more people, becoming more deadly and potentially vaccine resistant, you know that it is now on an unnatural evolutional curve. And we are starting to see that, which is very alarming. And that means that the people that are vaccinated may actually be putting the, peop the rest of the people on this planet and our future in jeopardy. They don't know it. I don't blame them. I blame the scientists that do know this uh, and are marching millions and millions and millions of people um, into this vaccine program. And to explain why it makes the virus more deadly, because it doesn't stop infection, because it doesn't stop transmission, and also, even if it could do those things, what we're being told is we needed to have gotten the vaccine before the virus ever hit, you know, um, our beaches, you know, to hit America. We needed to have been vaccinated months earlier so that the vaccine was able to ramp up all of our immunity, all of the antibodies and do what it needs to do to work. Therefore, it becomes that wall of immunity once the virus hits. The problem is that people are being infected right after they got their first shot 
right after they got the second shot. And we're seeing it, right? Hundreds, if not thousands of people now being reported by the CDC being affected even after getting the vaccine. That's the worst case scenario because that means the virus is now able to cause what's called an immune escape. It's getting around the vaccine. It's studying the vaccine and becoming vaccine resistant. We have the same problem with antibiotics now. We are, you know, anyone that studies science knows that we are living in what is supposed to be the end of the antibiotic age. The bacteria are mutating so fast now and getting around any new antibiotic that a lot of drug companies have given up on making them because they just, by the time they get on market, the bacteria has already figured a way around the antibiotic. We're going to see the same problem with coronavirus because this is a highly, highly uh, mutating virus. It can mutate in 10 hours. Um, unlike other things like measles and childhood viruses that we have dealt with before, those take decades often to mutate and change. We're messing with something that mutates so fast and we're putting it into an unnatural pressure where while we're trying to ramp up antibodies, we're being attacked. And that is creating what, what Geert describes as in a suboptimal vaccine response that is only going to result in deadlier and deadlier forms of the virus's variants escaping out and putting everyone at risk. Yeah, I'm glad you brought up Geert uh, Van and Bosch. That is an amazing, for anybody that hasn't seen that, it's an amazing, uh, you interviewed him, but he's also got like an hour talk where he, he just talks about, he is a pro-vaxxer. He he believes in vaccines. He worked for the companies, but he's completely against this idea of the coronavirus vaccine. And he said, I believe you don't ever do something like this uh, during a pandemic. You know, you don't prophylactically just give it during the pandemic yeah. because of this idea of immune escape. Um, and if so anybody hasn't seen that, that's that's an amazing uh, yeah. video. Just to clarify, I did not interview him. I, oh, I thought you, I, okay. He has a brilliant interview. interview. I played the interview and broke it down piece by piece to really go through the science and what backed up what he was saying. Uh, He has multiple videos. Go to his LinkedIn page, Geert, G-E-E-R-T, Vanden, like it sounds, Bosch, B-O-S-S-C-H-E, I believe is what it is. Check out his LinkedIn page. He has basically put his entire career on the line saying, if we don't stop this vaccine, mass vaccination program immediately, we will have... um, colossal, colossal death rates like we've never seen before. He's not alone. We have a vice president, former vice president of Pfizer, um, a doctor named Dr. Michael Yeadon, who has come forward and said, stop using the Pfizer vaccine immediately. His concern is that it is going to cause infertility in women that receive it. His science is super interesting. He's laid out the genetic, the DNA code for the spike protein that's in that vaccine and shows that that spike protein has an almost identical DNA code structure to it as what's called sensitin, the outer layer of the placenta in women. Um, We could go deep into the biology of why that is not necessarily human DNA, but more viral DNA. It is. Uh, based on evolutional principles again. But the problem is, is if we create antibodies to like this spike protein, then everything that looks like the spike protein gets attacked by those antibodies and the outer layer of the placenta looks just like the spike protein. And so his belief is this, these antibodies, this vaccine is going to cause infertility. No women, woman will be able to develop a um, placenta because of it. These are, I've never seen any moment like this, right? I mean, I was kind of all alone 
when I started investigating vaccines, you were always told the scientific consensus is that vaccines are safe and effective. Yet I was seeing terrible safety studies, no placebo groups, yet there was this religious belief that they were just yeah. safe, even though we have skyrocketing rates of autoimmune disease, skyrocketing rates of autism, skyrocketing rates of ADD, ADHD, psoriasis, lupus, you name it. Our kids are the sickest generation in America that we've ever seen. But here, something different is happening. For the first time ever, we're watching legacy scientists, guys that have built their legacy on developing vaccines, coming out and warning the world to stop the use of this experimental technology immediately. It's like the opening of a science fiction movie. Some world-renowned scientist that's on a radio show somewhere that no one is listening to, and we're just seconds away from the zombie apocalypse. I really do believe um, that there is such incredible potential that the people that are being vaccinated right now will not live through the next five years of their lives for multiple wow. theories coming from very, very talented scientists. And let me just jump into the one that worries us the most. And because yeah. I said in the animal trials, the, where we have been the most focused, you know, Geert van den Bosch, brilliant scientist. You can look into what he's saying. Dr. Michael Yeadon, um, look up some of the work by Andrew Reed on how vaccines can make viruses more deadly. But we were concerned originally with what was called immune enhancement. It's also called antibody-dependent enhancement or pathogenic priming. They all mean the same thing. Um, this was the issue they saw in, let me make this clear, every single animal trial that's been done on coronavirus vaccines for the last 20 years. Ever since SARS, multiple drug companies have been trying to make coronavirus vaccines. They have all run into the same problem, immune enhancement. Let me describe it for you. They inject the animals with the experimental vaccine. They, it appears to be safe because the animals don't die from the vaccine immediately. In fact, they look fairly healthy. They're running around in their cages doing great. We're talking ferret studies, rat studies, cat studies, uh, rhesus monkey studies. Um, you know, all, we use all these different ones. And, and by the way, they make some of these animals to have very human attributes. We can make a mouse have a, a human immune system so that we can study on it. So all of those things wow. are in place. So they would inject the animal with the vaccine. Then it looked like it was safe, wasn't killing them. Then they would draw the blood of the animal after, you know, a week or two to see if the, the immune system was working, creating antibodies. And it was. They saw robust antibody production in many, many of these trials. So it looked like they had a very successful vaccine. But animal trials go one step further than human trials do. It's called a challenge study, where they actually challenge the animal with the virus. So they inject the animals with the coronavirus, in this case, the SARS coronavirus. And what happened was really shocking and, and horrifying. The antibodies, for some reason, instead of blocking the virus from entering the animal, like I said, stopping the infection, neutralizing it or sterilizing it, two words you should hear from a vaccine. Instead, these antibodies seem to just grab on get buddy-buddy with the virus and then invite it into the cells so that it spread faster than it naturally would have on its own. The vaccine worked as a catalyst to help the virus spread through the body, which then the immune system goes into shock because it's not fighting one entry point injection point. It realizes it has a systemic infection. And so it goes into what's called a cytokine storm. This is like the nuclear uh, plant meltdown inside of the bodies of the animals, you will read in these trials creating what's called a TH2 immunopathology in the lungs, meaning respiratory failure, in many cases organ failure throughout the body and death. 
Now, they didn't die in every animal trial, but in a lot of them. And the vaccine always made the animals more sick than they would have if they had not had the vaccine. So these vaccines have the potential to work as a catalyst to help the virus kill you. That is what we knew all the way up into the beginning of last year when Donald Trump, you know, funded billions of dollars into these vaccines and said, let's warp speed this vaccine in the market. You will see conclusions at the end of the animal trials that will say conclusion. We should be very careful or caution before moving into animal trials is warranted, meaning this is a diabolical problem. Now, it's not a one off. We saw this with a um, RSV Uh, program in children back in the 1960s. It was a vaccine we thought was safe. But then when the kids, after having received the vaccine sometime later, came in contact with the RSV virus, they ended up getting more sick. Two of the children died and we stopped that RSV program immediately because RSV really wasn't that deadly for babies. We don't want to give a vaccine that is actually deadly. We saw it again about two years ago in the Philippines with what was called Dengvaxia, a dengue vaccine in the Philippines. They thought it was safe, gave it to thousands of people. Everyone was walking around fine. They were doing just fine after the vaccine. Everyone said, look how safe it is, like they are right now. But then when they came in contact with dengue, people started dropping dead in the streets. Uh, I think they're saying over a thousand people died from that catalytic, you know, that, that sort of catalyst reaction where the vaccine helped dengue kill those people. That is the only known science in history we know of these vaccines that are now in the arm, have been injected into hundreds and hundreds of millions of people around the world. And so when we investigated the safety trials, we obviously, I mean, Dr. Peter Hotez, who makes coronavirus or is working on a coronavirus vaccine, he warned our Congress of this exact issue. This was the known problem of coronavirus vaccines when we decided to start rushing it because of this pandemic. And so when we looked at the safety trials, you would assume that the one thing the safety trial really set out to do was determine if human beings were going to have the same reaction as the animals did. Could this work as a catalyst to get the people uh, killed by the vaccine And when you look into all of the uh, emergency use authorization paperwork by the FDA, there's a section that says known unknowns, essentially. And in there, it talks about disease enhancement, this problem they saw in the animal trials. And it basically says these trials were not designed to detect immune enhancement or disease enhancement from these vaccines. Therefore, we don't know if that will happen in the future. Um, More studies will need to be done. Perhaps, it literally says, perhaps in the post-licensure phase, meaning after we license this product, we may start the studies to see if the vaccine is as deadly as it was in the animal trials. I mean, I know people say that can't possibly be true. That cannot possibly be true that our FDA and Tony Fauci are giving people a product that is known to be deadly in the animal trials. I wish I could tell you otherwise. That is the actual truth of the matter as we speak. So who knows? Next year's coronavirus, some variation. Maybe the vaccine wears off a little bit. Remember, the scientists describe immune enhancement as a problem they don't fully understand. They don't know why it happens. They see it mostly in upper respiratory illnesses that they try to make vaccines for, but they don't know why it happens. What happens if next year's coronavirus starts killing everybody that got the vaccine? Not the ones that were not vaccinated, but only those people that received the vaccine. 
I think you'll see an ad campaign that will say that it's the unvaccinated people's fault that we're all dying by this yeah. new deadly variant. It's not the new deadly variant that's going to get you killed. It's the known scientific history that that vaccine is helping the virus kill you. And I want to plant that seed because I really do think we're going to see that. You know, God, I pray to God I'm wrong. I pray to God that all the scientists and all those, those animal trials were wrong. But that's what we know to be true. This is a known theoretical possibility. So any lunatic that thinks that the best idea is to inject every single human on this planet, that's why your shirt is so important. I'm sorry. Someone needs to care about the future of the human race if this vaccine goes sideways and goes completely wrong and starts murdering the millions of people that received it. They will be counting on us with pure blood vaccine free to return us back or to be able to procreate if they make a diabolical mistake like that. Um, and let me just finish by saying, I hope I'm wrong. Maybe all these issues by all these scientists is wrong and all the history that somehow humans don't work the same way they do in the animal trials. Fine. But if we keep taking products that we know to be that dangerous and fast-tracking them on the market two weeks after the second injection showed some antibody production, then if this vaccine doesn't take our species off the planet, one will in the future. All I want is safety studies. All I want is to get back to a world where we do safety trials for five years so we have answers to questions like you're seeing all over your news. Is this causing infertility? Is it causing the uh, disruption in ovulation and menstrual bleeding that so many women are complaining about? Uh, and we're now hearing ABC News, CBS Primetime News saying nobody studied this in the, the vaccine trials. Well, they didn't study anything. The trials lasted essentially two weeks. We're, we're all a part of the trial now. Right. Yeah. Um, wow. Thank you. That was, that was amazing. You know, you had, um, I want to wrap things up, but I, I, cause I know we're getting close to that hour mark and I want to jump into some lightning round questions, but, um, you had a doctor too from UCSF, I believe it was an amazing podcast not too long ago. I think his name was like Dr. New Chasm. Uh, oh yeah. And he had a different theory about immune escape, which I really appreciated just his um, – yeah. because he was also reasonable. And he said, look it, I think the vaccine is safe and effective. However, I would never give it to somebody if they already had the vac – if they've already had COVID. Like if they had an antibody test or a titer test or something showing they already got it. He's like, absolutely I wouldn't give it to them because they probably will have that autoimmune reaction. So – even someone like him who felt very strongly that the vaccine would not cause immune escape and was very confident in actually the vaccine working, he at least yeah. was reasonable in saying like, hey, let's, let's at le we should at least be testing for this. Uh, and we're not even yeah. doing that. Even so, well, it's, it, uh, it, it's a really simple, it's a simple concept he has. Like, and his name's Dr. Guman Nurkasm. Um, okay. And again, I bring people on my show. He thinks I'm crazy. Uh, for worrying about uh, immune enhancement is a problem. He's like, oh, you know, it may happen to some people, but it won't be that large percentage of people. He got the vaccine himself. He's pro-vaccine, yeah. right? But what he is saying is I'm pro-vaccine for people that don't already have natural immunity. He knows natural immunity exists. His concern is the fact that we're not testing people's antibodies to see if they've already been infected. Remember, we think somewhere between 40 to 80% of people that get this are asymptomatic. They don't even know they've had the virus, right? And so his concern, and the science makes some sense, is that if you've already been infected and your body has killed this virus dead, which I remind you, only natural immunity actually achieves that. The other vaccine just sort of, you know, is buddy-buddy and allows this thing to mutate and live inside of you without sort of being attacked. 
But if your body has killed this thing dead, you still have pieces and fragments of the dead, broken virus. Remember, it goes in, it blows apart, but you have fragments of that virus that are still trying to excrete from your body for months to come. So now it's excreting through your kidney, your liver, your heart, your lungs, maybe some of it's in your brain. It's not active. It's just there. It's slowly your body's trying to push it out. His concern is the moment you take a vaccine that says, you know, create antibodies, make your, your immune system attack every known spike protein or piece of it found in the body, that if you take that vaccine and you have these fragments all through your body, not just the one right where it was just injected in your arm where it's going to create the immunity, but it's in your brain, it's in your liver, your brain is going to swell. The immune system is going to attack your brain. It's going to attack your kidney, your liver, and then you really have a good chance of dying. And so he believes when we're seeing these deaths right after the vaccination, that it's not necessarily the vaccine that's killing them. It's the immune, immediate immune response because these pro people probably had already had a natural infection that they had cleared. And now the virus is sending their body into a cytokine storm because it's creating inflammation and attack all across the cells of the body. It's a super interesting theory, and, and it does stand up in science, and he's shocked to find that no one at the CDC or the FDA is really listening to him either, and that's the problem. With all of these theories from world-renowned scientists that do know what they can, are talking about are providing stacks of historical evidence as to why they have the theory they have, the FDA has just got their blinders on, and the CDC and Health and Human Service and the WHO all they know is let's just get everyone this vaccine. It's really quite terrifying. And now when you look at the um, idea that many of these universities are saying that they're going to be basically having a vaccine passport, you won't allow be allowed in university without the vaccine. Uh, Human, he's fighting for his own kid. One of his kids has not been vaccinated. He's terrified of the notion of taking these healthy children that really have a 0% risk as it is at their age and their health rate. So there's no reason to take on the risk that they're going to be under massive risk because they're so vibrant and healthy. If you're an athlete, odds are your immune system was so strong you didn't know you had it. Now you're going to get your vaccine to go to school and you could end up paralyzed or dead. Um, and that's just an unnecessary risk. And personally, you know, we're looking at from with our nonprofit at suing universities. We've already sent cease and desist okay. letters over this pro program. Um, that's one of the things that we do. Um, we're going to try and find the right cases and fight them in the Supreme Court. There's no reason these children be, should be put at undue risk, especially when we know um, how low the risk of this virus actually is. And I, I'm telling you, if, the, if these university students end up dying or some of them die, I'll consider them murdered by the, that university and we'll, we'll act accordingly. Love it. Last question before we jump into the, the lightning round. I was just thinking, sometimes I get really, it gets really dark for me and I get down and I'm like, man, this is just treacherous, this tyranny that I see in the censorship. Then I listen to you and I'm just curious, does this, is this like these pandemics or these these things, um, for example, in the 1970s, they did the same exact thing with the swine flu. Um, and then in, within nine months, they took it off the market. They made it mandatory, I think, from what I've read. And then they took it off the market because they were having so many reactions. Is this like cyclical? Do, do they play this kind of playbook every 10 years or so? Is this just something that we're seeing or I don't know? Or do you, are you worried no, about, we, we, about that? We've never, seen, we've never seen anything like this. We've never seen a worldwide okay. vaccination program. They admit it themselves. Head of the CDX, head of the CDC, um, just recently, uh, I'm trying to remember her name. Um, 
I should know it because she's all over my film, but it's escaping me at the moment. But, um, you know, she just said, we've never tried to make billions of vaccines all at one time. Um, and so because of that, we're in a whole new territory. And as you said, had we given everyone on this earth the H1N1 vaccine during that attack, um, and it ended up being a very problematic disease and did lead to what we knew to be from that people that got flu shots later, it has caused miscarriage. If you've gotten that vaccine plus the next year's vaccine or something, uh, you can miscarry your baby. So all of these things are uh, real. Julie Gerberding, that's the name I was trying to Julie Gerberding has been out saying we're trying to t- do something we've never done before. Now, remember, she was the head of Merck during that fraudulent MMR study. She made sure that CDC promoted the product and, and manipulated the study. And then where does she work now? She went on to be head of Merck's uh, vaccine yeah. department, making multi-millions of dollars a year. It's that type of revolving door that leaves me skeptical. Yeah. I'm sorry. I think my job as yeah. a journalist is to remain skeptical. Anyone that thinks that I'm doing a disservice to the world, um, you should be thankful. You should be thankful that I'm challenging the science because to point out anyone else that is. I mean, point out any reporter, anyone. And nobody is challenging these products made by companies that pay out billions and billions of dollars for lying about safety. Love it, man. Love you, brother. Let's, uh, do you have time to jump into some lightning round questions? Yeah, let's do, let's do. Awesome. All right. If the, uh, if the old you could see the new you, what would the new you say? Hmm. Uh, get ready. You're going to be spending the rest of your life reading medical journals. I actually had that thought, (laughs) you know, when I found myself on the doctor's television show, I had wanted to be a filmmaker and life. Uh, as you were saying, you're planning to get in California. I was going to say life is what happens while you're making plans. <laughs> yeah, that is so yeah. true. I love that. Um, what do you think were some choices that, uh, that made you who you are today that you made? You know, in some ways, I think that I, I like to celebrate the, the socialization of who I am. My mother, I think, has a huge effect on my parents uh, that pulled me out of school in fourth grade um, because they saw me caring what other people thought and doing what my friends said instead of following my own instincts. And my mom just said, you know, I don't want to raise kids like that. I want kids that don't care what other people think that follow their own guidance, their own intuition, their own education, their own learning. And so I was homeschooled up until 10th grade. So that had a huge effect, I think, on why I'm here. And it's interesting, I was talking to Dr. Simone Gold, who was the lead doctor for the frontline um, doctors, that student from the Supreme Court talking about the success of hydroxychloroquine. And she said, we were all sitting at a dinner, all the doctors have been speaking out about the censorship and asking ourselves the same question, what makes us different from all the other doctors we know? And she said, at the end of the dinner, we came to the conclusion that what we were similar on was that none of us really cared what other people think. And so I think in the end, it it takes that type of mechanism. Um, They're preying on our desire to be accepted. That's how they're getting away with mask mandates. That's how they've gotten half of the country, about 50% of us, to take a vaccine that has been tested for safety. Um, it's peer pressure. It's always worked, and many people are vulnerable to it. I don't happen to be one of those people. Love that. That's so good. Um, any, um, any books that you'd recommend that – I'm a big reader, and are there any books that like impacted you a lot that you would recommend people uh, read? 
Well, I mean, I mean, like you said, Suzanne Humphrey's book, Dissolving Illusions, is a great book. It's really thick and heavy. If you really want answers to the vaccine, history of vaccines, especially when they say, well, what about the polio vaccine? What about the smallpox vaccine? I think that that book covers it well. Remember, she was pro-vaccine and nephrologist who started seeing her patients die after a flu shot. It changed her life. So you get a really clinical view and a, and, a, and a history you haven't read about. So that's, I think, a must read for anybody that's maybe about to vaccinate their children. That one is really deep. I would also say a book by J.B. Hanley, How to End the, the Autism Epidemic. He really very, he's such a great writer, lays out in very simple terms the studies that you should know about and how together it shows that vaccines do cause autism. And then I'll be promoting his brand new book this week um, called awesome. Underestimated, um, which is all about the recovery of his son. Um, his son just started communicating for the first time after 20 years. He thought his son might have just had limited mentality. There's a brand new technique for communication that is helping these children that are have uh, are non-speakers, non-speakers uh, from autism, and they're finding out that these kids are all there, that they're not only at the same grade level, shockingly, with no education, no schooling, but in many cases are even smarter than your average kids. It's an incredible book. Part of it's written with his son who only started speaking uh, to him through this technology one year ago. Uh, that book, it, I mean, I, it had me, I would recommend not re reading it in a plane. I was a heaving, sobbing mess <laughs> yeah. at the idea of human, the millions wow. of these kids that have been um, underestimated. That's the title given by his son describing what it was like to live inside of a body where everyone's talking to you like you're in kindergarten. And by the way, he just finished calculus uh, just uh, last week. Awesome. Um, incredible, wow. incredible story and an incredible book, Underestimated. Check it out. It's in stores right now. You're, you're, uh, you're about to bring me to tears here, man. Stop it. <laughs> that's heavy. That's, yeah. uh, that's amazing. It's heavy. It is, it is one of those stories. It's a true miracle. Yeah. Uh, and, and one of those rare, exciting moments in journalism, having followed these families of autism to see this light at the end of the tunnel for, um, you know, a great portion of them, I believe, is just such an incredible moment. And, and as, as one of the parents was telling me the other night, it's a revolution. This is going to be a revolution to hear from the children that have not been speaking, but observing the world and understanding what happened to them for the last 20 years. Super fascinating. Yeah. Are there any um, any practices or rituals that you do on a daily basis? Some people do like gratitude journaling. Is there anything that you that you do a lot of? I'm a strong believer in meditation. I mean, I was raised. My parents taught me to meditate as a child. I think in this world where we're just being blasted and bombarded with people's opinions, including my own, including my own. I mean, everyone you're listening to this. I'm really trying to teach people to do their own research. But we really, we aren't going to come to clear thought. We're not going to really come to what I think is sort of that God-given intelligence that's inside of us. You know, when we're praying so often, we're praying, and we're just talking, talking, talking about our need. At some point, we've got to hear the answers. And I think that's what meditation is. So being able to sort of calm your mind and just push away all of that chatter, turn off the television as often as you can, and try and get to a space where you just have a singleness of mind. To me, that helps with critical thinking. And, and I think you'll find that you make better decisions in your life if you make that a daily practice. Love that. One more question, and then uh, we'll kind of wrap it up. Um, 
I want you to finish this sentence. You know, 2020 was a crazy year for a lot of people. For some people, it was catastrophic. But for many people like yourself, I, I saw you make the most of it and make it great. And so finish this sentence. 2020 was the greatest gift because dot, dot, dot. Well, I think 2020 was the greatest gift when it comes to uh, awakening the minds of people around vaccinations and, and the safety of vaccinations. One, it's a very, very simple thing that was achieved last year. Up until 2020 and this pandemic and all this panic, you know, guys like Bobby Kennedy and me, we're all putting our, our reputations on the line to get people to understand one thought. There's no such thing as a one-size-fits-all pharmaceutical product that's safe for everybody. Children are dying. Children are being injured and harmed by vaccines. It may not be the majority, but certainly, you know, a, a group that deserves to live, that deserve to have choice, that deserve to have the information. We all need to know that. And what we were up against was always this sort of, I, I call it the first commandment of vaccinology, which is thou shalt not question vaccines. Uh, we were in a place where if you question the safety of vaccines, then you are, are a, a hypocrite. You should be tried. You should be hung. We now know right before our eyes because of 2020, because of the warp speeding of the vaccine, because Joe Biden and Kamala Harris came out and said, we don't necessarily trust this vaccine is going to be safe since it's being rushed by Donald Trump. That really, that really brought in, it cracked the door of the idea that, wait a minute, if a safety trial wasn't properly done or this product was rushed, it could cause harm. And now Johnson & Johnson being halted. In the end, did they say that the vaccine doesn't cause blood clots and thrombocytopenia? No, they didn't. They just said, we think it's going to be rare enough that, you know, for those poor individuals, sorry, but the rest of you go out and get it. So this has opened up a whole new awakening, which is something that I was, you know, we were having some success at. But I think now when you're looking at 50% of this country not getting the vaccine and every headline saying it's an uphill battle from here because the people that wanted it got it already. The rest are skeptical. Stay skeptical. Stay smart. This is an experimental product. And normally vaccines are, have a 95% uptake. The fact that this one has 50%, that's an awakening. And I want to thank all of the makers of the awesome. COVID-19 pandemic uh, for their great and valuable service. <laughs> oh, I love it, dude. Last but not least, Dell, where can, uh, where can people find you and connect with you? The best place to go. We have two websites, but the one that will lead you, every, you know, into everything we're doing is thehighwire.com. That's H-I-G-H wire. So thehighwire.com. Uh, every Thursday we go live at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Please sign up to our newsletter because, you know, we have been censored off of we've lost our Facebook channel, our YouTube channel, um, Instagram. We have a robust website. It's a great experience, but you can watch the show there. But just in case our website ever gets shut down, we'd like to be able to email the show. We want to make sure that people always have this information. And when you sign our newsletter, uh, you immediately every Monday will receive an email with the hyperlinks to all of the safety trials. So if you want to see when I'm saying this immune enhancement problem, and you said that the FDA wrote it right into the emergency use authorization, if you were on our newsletter and you saw me say that on the show on Thursday, on Monday, that's going to be in your inbox so that when you're talking to your friends, you don't have to say, hey, this guy Del Bigtree said this was the case. You can hand them the actual trial information and say it says it right here that's what i want you to be able to do i'm not only trying to help you critically think i'm trying to make you a warrior for your own health and others 
Uh, we are under siege by stupidity right now. The high wire is doing everything it can to cure that. Before I sit, go show, uh, end the show, I have to say you're absolutely right. We were able to connect with somebody at a park uh, with our kids because we were both the only two people wearing not wearing a mask. And uh, I think the second thing out of our mouth was, "Do you watch Dale Bigtree in the High Wire?" She's like, "Yes." So uh, <laughs> we were able. It's, it's amazing the people you get to connect with. Um, yeah. Awesome, Dale. Awesome. Thank you so much for awesome. being on the show, man. Thanks for having me, everybody. Get out there, do your research. <laughs> All right, that's it for today, folks. I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Hack Life. And if you did, please share this episode on social media and then tag me at Joel Levin Coaching. And don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and give us a five-star rating so that you don't miss any other great episodes. We can only spread our message when you share this knowledge with others that need it. Thanks a ton, guys, for the support. 